Oh, welcome to the podcast, Priest, Brother, and You, where we discuss some of your deepest questions from life on campus. My name is Father Jake Anderson, pastor and director here at St. Lawrence Catholic Church and Newman Center. And I am joined, of course, by co-host Brother Matthew. And we have a great lineup for you today, also with a student joining us, uh, Ben Hernandez. And Brother Matthew. Brother Matthew here. Hello, all. Ben, thanks for joining us today. So Ben studies political science and applied economics. Ben, what's been the hardest class for you this semester? Probably farm management. Farm management, which means what? We basically learn about the processes that go in a family farm. And currently we're learning about the transition process of one going from one generation to the other one. And since I didn't grow up in a family farm, it's been kind of tricky to get the ropes. So you're saying this class has been so difficult that today... You want to talk about death, is that right? Yeah, for sure. The The question was definitely prompted by that class. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, well, hopefully a desire for heaven. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so Ben, where did, this, where did this question come from in your own life? Well, interestingly enough, I was just chatting with some friends who I don't know if it adds or subtracts anything, but they're not particularly religious. And we were just talking about what happens after we die. And I noticed that the majority of them um, came to this question with fear, really, uh, of not knowing what happened afterwards. And I realized that I didn't particularly share that fear. Um, I like to think that perhaps that's because of my religious beliefs. But I also think it's a simple enough question that when you dive more into it, you realize that it's more complex than you at first think it to be. Hmm. And I just wanted to know more about it. Yeah. Absolutely. And just out of curiosity, so we'll certainly dive into more um, answers into that. But um, for your friends that you were speaking with, were, were some of them like saying things like, we don't believe there is such a thing as any life after death? Or did they believe just an annihilation of, you know, across the board? Well, what I found interesting was that they kind of rejected this idea of heaven and hell, hmm. but they kind of developed their own theories, if you will. I know one of them suggested that like maybe our conscience goes into like a black hole and we just live collectively there. Um, Interesting. Which was intriguing at yeah. the very least. Wow. That's a new one. I haven't heard that one. Well, <laughs> by any means, this will be this will be great to jump in here. <laughs> Uh, so if you had to kind of put it just into a, in, the, in the form of a simple question, I mean, death is a big topic, but um, just like what's the, what's the essential question you're, you're, that's been on your heart? So I think the overarching question would be what happens to our souls after our time on earth is up? Hmm. Yeah, really good question. Thankfully, it's a bright sunny day. So as we're talking about this, it's not dark and gloomy and cloudy. Um, but yeah, really good question because it, in a, in a sense, it gets to the heart of what Christian Catholicism proclaims, which is not only do we believe that there is such a thing as life after death, but even more, we believe in the resurrection of the body. But even at a more preliminary level, it's very interesting what you said. You said, like, is there what happens to the soul after death? So even just at a more preliminary point, as Catholics, we believe that we're not just bodies. We actually are made up of one of the, the philosophical principles called hylomorphism, which means, all fancy language to say, we believe in the body 
and a soul that is unified together. So as Catholics, a simple definition of death, you might hear differently from medical professionals, they're always changing on this, but a simple Catholic definition of death would be simply where the soul is separated from the body. That would be death. Since hylomorphism or body and soul were together as persons, death would be where the soul is, uh, leaves the body. So that would be death. So what happens to the soul, even though as the body remains here on earth and is slowly over time decomposing and decaying and um, going into dust to dust, ashes to ashes, as we say on Ash Wednesday, what happens to the soul? In I would highly recommend people to actually crack open their catechisms and there's some great riches of what we believe in our Catholic faith in the Catholic catechism. But uh, the, some of the essential points we believe that immediately after death, where the soul is separated from the body, there will be what's called the particular judgment. We will appear before God. And, you know, as all those Catholic jokes are, where we say, you know, somebody died and appeared before the pearly gates with St. Peter. That's actually not what we believe. <laughs> it's not going to be St. Peter. It's going to be the Lord. And we will experience a particular judgment um, that will immediately... Uh, <laughs> Tell us where we going, where we are going to go next, and that could be one of three places. And by we, I mean the soul. The body is left behind, but the soul remains, and the soul will go to one of three places: heaven, hell, or purgatory. Uh, so that's the essential uh, initial thought there. And it's it's great that you have been talking about tough questions like this with friends. And I think part of what we see here is that. A lot of people have a natural intuition that there's something about us which is immortal. And that's what you see when someone says something like, my, my conscious will, will exist in a black hole. There, there's an intuition there for many people that there's more to life than, than just what's here. So yes, death is the end of earthly life. But as Catholics, we believe strongly that we have an immortal soul. We have an immortal soul. Yeah, and even if you've been to a Catholic funeral, you'll hear this great verbiage that we pray at every Catholic funeral. Uh, in the Eucharistic prayer, the priest will pray, even though life has changed, it has not ended. Life has changed, but it has not ended. So it's always a message of great hope. This is where the Christian Catholic life uh, faith really shines into the darkest abyss of the fear of exactly this question. And people that are non-Christian, this is going to be a great entry point for helping see that there is something that draws us into this life can't be it. There is more. C.S. Lewis will say, you have never met a mere mortal. We have only come into contact with eternal beings, people who are destined for something beyond just this life. So Ben, what do you think you you and friends of yours actually think of that? Yes, the Catholic Church can make all these claims, but are they reasonable? Are people going to believe them themselves? Well, I personally do believe them. Obviously, I would say that my friends probably don't because they, you know, what I found interesting was that they rejected this idea that's already established, like Father Jake mentioned of going into one of three places and to comfort themselves, they had to find some other theory that, in my opinion, was a little bit more far-fetched and not mm. as developed. So 
I think that they would agree that there is something eternal about us, hmm. but they just reject the idea that, in this case, the Catholic Church puts forward. Hmm. That's interesting. I, why do you think that is the case? Just like where sometimes it's people's instinct to say, like, that can't possibly be true. I'm going to go with the conscience is going to a black hole theory. Yeah, gosh, I don't know. I, I would like to have a good answer for that. But right away, my mind just tells me religion is not super popular with people my age. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're just like forced in a way to find flaws or something that is not like that doesn't make sense. That's not scientific. Mm-hmm. And that like proves it wrong, if that makes sense. Yeah, yep, totally. Yeah, Bishop Barron has really spoken into this reality of what's now the term called scientism, which is the belief that we should be able to explain everything through the lens of science. And he says, well, that's, we're not, obviously as Catholics, we're not opposed to science in the least or the scientific method at all. In fact, it was created or invented by a Catholic, but scientism is a, is a great limitation on the powers of the person where, I mean, think about all the great songs and, and about love. You can't, through scientism, you can't get at the reality of love because it's not scientifically reducible or just uh, a method to define it through the lens of science. So it has its own limitations, science. Which makes it very fascinating how friends of yours, Ben, and many, many people, despite subscribing to the scientific spirit of the age, yet hold these ideas about the afterlife, even though those are ideas are not provable. That's very fascinating to me. And I, I think something that that points to is that the scientism's approach to the afterlife, however reasonable it might be, it's unsatisfactory. Hmm. It's unsatisfactory. So we actually depart from reason often enough and come up with theories of any kind. I think, therefore, it might be worthwhile to look at the Catholic, the Catholic Church's teaching on death and the afterlife simply from its, its logical foundation. And I think, I wonder if, I'm hypothesizing here, but I'm, I'm wondering if most of the church's doctrine on death and the afterlife actually f- flows from a single principle, which is that God is love. God is love. And so what that means, I mean, there, there's going to be all sorts of hidden hidden premises here, but I think that's the main one. We say if God is love, then it makes sense that he made us out of love and loves us so much that he made us for eternity. And yet the very nature of love is that it ha- it actually has to be reciprocated mm-hmm. so that we are not forced to experience God's love eternally, but we have to choose it ourselves. And there you have it. So at the moment of death, there is what the Catholic Church calls a particular judgment. And that's where each person's life is reviewed insofar as did we love God or not? looked at a bit differently. Therefore, are we, are we wanting to choose God for eternity or not? Mm. And how does the Catholic Church define hell? It's simply the definitive self-exclusion from communion with God. Mm. It's when I say, no, God, I don't want your love. 
and therefore I'm excluding myself from that love. So I think there is at least a very reasonable foundation for why the church can teach and does teach in on top of revelation where all these things are put out very clearly in revelation but on top of that there's something very reasonable reasonable about it Hmm. that that we should have to choose love because it's love and that holds for eternity yeah yeah and even to add on to that um you know on with any material object in the world we can look at it and just simply ask, what is this thing for? And we would have an answer. I mean, we're right now we're sitting around a table, socially distanced, and we can say, well, look at this material object, the table. What is it for? Well, is it, it's to set things on, which is what we're doing right now. Um, but we can say this with just about anything. And so even to ask your friends this, like even getting at the more preliminary question of uh, exactly what Brother Matthew was getting at with, he was getting, we're, we're created, we could say, by love, God is love, for love, which is communion with God. That's the deepest answer the Catholic Church would say, why were we created? What are we for? We're created by God, who is love, for himself. We're created for communion with God. But it would be interesting to ask your friends, do you think that we're created for anything in particular? Even though we can answer that question for just about everything else, it'd be interesting to hear what they might have to say. Um, I wanted to ask, well, both of you, but I know Brother Matthew brought it up. Um, you were talking about First of all, you talked about particular judgment and then kind of like the Catholic definition of hell. And so I was wondering if that judgment is decided, if in our judgment we're subject to God as a judge, is he the one who decides personally? And second, what do both heaven, or I guess not both, but heaven, hell, and purgatory, what might they look like? Yeah, great question. Maybe to start with hell, because I think that's the sticking point for most people. When people are uncomfortable with the Catholic Church's doctrine about the afterlife, usually they're not uncomfortable with heaven. That's an awesome teaching. Everyone <laughs> wants heaven, even atheists. Yay. And actually, I'll let you, sorry for interrupting, but some of my friends were opposed to the idea of heaven because it's too perfect. Ooh, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> Perhaps uh, people like that, there can be a, a little bit of a lower grade heaven, and that will be heaven for them. But in any case, the I think for most people, the real the real issue is hell, because mm-hmm. that's where people are condemned to kind of isolation, far from God, far from love. <laughs> what do those three places look like? Um, so, yeah, a few th- a few thoughts. Um, Certainly, scripture and tradition are the places we go to firstly in terms of like what are our sources, scripture, tradition, and then actually we can look at some of like what the the saints have said that got insights into life beyond. Now, we can't know exactly what it's going to look like. We can't. St. Paul has said this directly. He says, what eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has the heart imagined what God has in store for those who love him. There it is again. Communion with God or heaven is the greatest bliss of communion. Think about like those videos of, 
we've all kind of seen those YouTube videos where, you know, a soldier's coming home from Iraq or Afghanistan or something, and they're surprising their loved ones. And you remember, like, they, they get millions of views because people can't stop. We all kind of are intrinsically drawn to union and communion. And remember what that's like when the soldier's coming home and their loved one first sees them. It's like this shock. And then like the tears start flowing. And then they don't just stand apart or separated. They run to each other. And like, there's, there's this embrace that they're not afraid of people looking at them. They're not afraid of stopping. They just hold on to each other. That's communion. And heaven, that just tells us a little tiny glimpse. It's like a little tiny foretaste of what we're made for. Heaven will be an eternal, unceasing communion of the greatest kind, such that we only get tiny little glimpses of it here below inter with our own relationships of people that we love. Um, so heaven will be life with God, which is the complete fulfillment of every human desire. Now think about that for a moment. We all have desires. And when we have a desire that is met, a desire that is fulfilled, there's a joy, there's a satisfaction, you know? Even think about our desires for certain food. Last night I was really craving Mexican, you know? And when I was tasting the Mexican, I was like, this, this is goodness. <laughs> and that was just one tiny little desire. Imagine if I had all of my desires fulfilled, not just for food and drink, the very most simple, basic desires, but the deepest desires of the heart. Imagine if all those were fulfilled simultaneously and in an unending way. That's heaven. That's, the, that's the, what we're, we're ultimately made for. Hell will be the complete opposite of that. We say in hell, there's two primary um, dimensions to it. There's the pain of sense and there's the pain of loss. The pain of sense, you know, we all kind of say like the fires of hell, the flames of hell. And there actually is a truth to this. There will be a pain in hell that will affect your bodily senses. Since everyone in hell at the end of the age will have their bodies back. We'll get to that maybe hopefully in a moment. Um, but there will be a pain of sense. Uh, even in scripture, remember when that, that, that passage where the rich man goes to hell, he who did not care for Lazarus and stepped over his body every day and dined sumptuously? Do you remember what his torments were in hell? He said, Father Abraham, please send someone down to even send Lazarus down to touch the fi his finger to water and put it to my tongue. He was a man who all his life had just been given to good food and drink and comfort. So his pain was associated with his sin, how he lived his life. So in the tradition of the Catholic Church, we say, the pains of sense in hell will correspond to how we lived apart from God in this world. It's not that living comfortably necessarily is apart from God, but living away and apart from love of neighbor and God. That is what will separate us from God. So two aspects to hell, pain of sense, and then the pain of loss. And, and this is what Brother Matthew got. Just as heaven is the fulfillment of every desire and we're living in communion, hell will be the greatest pain of hell, will not be the pain of sense. It will be the pain of loss of what we call the beatific vision. It's the agony of knowing I could have had this 
I, and that's what I am made for. And I willingly chose to not live in that way. It's like you knew that you had the winning Powerball ticket and you didn't bring it in. I could have won all these millions of dollars and I didn't do it. It'll be compounded far greater than that, the pain of loss. So it raises the question, what is purgatory? Is it just some kind of middle ground between heaven and hell? If we're not really that good, if we're not really that evil, we land in purgatory. No, purgatory is actually the front porch of heaven. The so suburb. The suburb. The yeah. Woodbury of heaven. <laughs> the If heaven is foreseeing God face to face, then heaven needs to be for the perfectly purified. Hmm. In other words, you're going to want better eyes before you start looking at the sun, S-O-N. So unless we die in perfect purity, we're going to need some means of coming to that purity after we die. So in that sense, purgatory is really a mercy. We can actually say that if not all of our sins are forgiven on this earth, hopefully most are, but if not all are, then there's still a chance for us to experience perfect communion with God by means of purgatory. So what exactly is purgatory? We don't really know. Some, <laughs> some saints have had revelations about it, but what we do know is, is there's some clues in Scripture, first of all. Scripture speaks about, the Scripture alludes to at least purification after death, but it's not given a name. Purgatory is the name that the church has given to this, this, this front porch of heaven. Also, we see it arise in the, in the tradition of the church whether that's praying for the dead, praying that they might enter heaven, especially in connection with the Eucharist. And of course, that kind of prayer even occurs in, in 2 Maccabees, so in the Old Testament, part of the, even part of the Jewish tradition. But finally, I think there's, there's something very reasonable about purgatory, that it's how God prepares us, whatever it looks like. Dante, Dante in his Purgatorio, describes poetically what purgatory might look like. He describes it as a massive mountain with various stages of, of souls climbing up this mountain. And at each stage, they're being purified from different sins. And it's beautiful to see how the souls in purgatory, they now fully understand God's justice. And so they desire to take on the purifications that are given to them, whether that's carrying around rocks or keeping their face on the ground. They actually desire it because they realize what they are preparing for is so good. And what they've been saved from, that is hell, they will never go to. They can never go to. Once you go to purgatory, you can only go one direction, mm. and that's to the Father. Interesting. Yeah. And with what Father Jake was talking about, the constant state of goodness and fulfillment that you find in heaven, some people might find that perhaps like unrealistic or like wouldn't you get tired of like perfection always? It's a good question. And um, I think it's indicative of the fact that one hasn't looked at their deepest desires enough. Yes. When it comes to surface level desires, we can get bored pretty darn quick and we're always moving and restless onto the next thing. So because we often live according to those more surfacey human desires, the thought of heaven being complete fulfillment and almost, quote-unquote, static happiness bores us. <laughs> and so I think that's indicative of the fact that people haven't really put their thoughts together 
and actually contemplated what are my deepest desires. Because it's our deepest desires that we, when those are beginning to be fulfilled, we don't move on quickly from them. It's, it's similar to, let me put it this way, for someone that has gotten married to their, well, quote unquote, best friend and someone that they dearly love, they're not, after the first month, they're like, okay, yawn, next. They don't want to move on. <laughs> that is a deeper desire. You know, when somebody gets married and enters into a covenantal bond with someone that they love, that is something so deep. Now, when it comes to, do I want pepperoni pizza or sausage pizza? The thought of heaven being eternal pepperoni, I'm like, oh, what if I, in some distant world, want sausage now? It's like, well, those are surfacey. But I would just encourage people to think about their deepest desires and to think of heaven as the fulfillment of those. Ben, is that helpful? What have we missed? Yeah, I guess one question that I personally had about this is that, so I guess a little bit background, family is very important to me. And, you know, I think of like cultural holidays such as Day of the Dead in Mexico. There's this thing called mm -hmm. Qingming in China where it just emphasizes the importance of family bonds despite not being on earth at the same time. So through your ancestors. And I have previously talked to priests back at my home parish and they have kind of given me unsatisfactory answers, I will say, about whether the family bonds that we have here on earth persist after death or and we reunite with our ancestors who are deceased or if family bonds kind of dissolve after death and we just live as one big happy family in heaven. Really good question. Um, it also gets to the, the question of ghosts, which might be out of scope of this podcast right now. But, um, but no, um, it seems that the, uh, the bonds of whatever we have created on earth will persist and even grow uh, later in the sense of, I mean, think about our bonds with our love of God. That is a huge factor in, in where we go <laughs> after death. But even so with familial relationships, Absolutely, those bonds only intensify uh, when we are in heaven or even in purgatory. They will love us even more than they did here on earth because it will be purified. Yeah, you can imagine the saints in heaven all converging upon God himself. And as they do that, the saints themselves get closer to one another. And so when St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he describes heaven as when God is all in all. God is everything for everyone. And you can imagine that establishes a kind of communion mm -hmm. which is way deeper than we have experienced here on earth. But nevertheless, it's in us enough that we desire it. Yeah. This is even where we begin to talk about like patron saints. So there's, there's patron saints of countries, of peoples, even of geographic areas. Um, so there's a thought even of um, some of some folks may have heard of Father Solanus Casey, who is a priest here in our own area, uh, particularly in Stillwater, Minnesota. Um, and there are people that knew him personally that are still alive. Maybe they're getting very, very old now. Um, but particular saints can have patronage over the peoples that they were around in even the places. Um, 
So there is, it seems that God will give them the gift of interceding and having those close bonds uh, that was begun on this earth or in this life and only to intensify for love uh, in the next life. Only adding to the beauty of the Catholic, Catholic Church's teaching on death. Mm -hmm. That yes, it is the end of earthly life, but the soul is immortal. And, and so we experience a communion, we can experience a communion with the saints even now, which is intended to draw ourselves towards heaven. Yeah, that's, I think that's a really good way of putting it. I think kind of combining all the teachings into a comforting way so that people like my friends are not necessarily scared of what's to come after life. Hmm. I would say on that last point that it's the great, there's a reason why a lot of people in general, but Americans in particular, don't like talking about death. And sometimes if you bring it up, uh, you might even get a pseudo-violent, you know, a reaction like, ah, I don't want to talk about that because it does scare people because it's definitive. Um, you know, last time I checked, the death rate is for people in general is hovering right around a hundred percent. Everyone is going to experience it. And people don't like to think about definitive things, you know, death and taxes. Uh, it's easier to even think about taxes than death for obvious reasons. So sometimes this can be a gift for people to think about death, even when it's difficult because it arouses us to start living for dare I say it, but some more important realities than the things that often consume so much of our daily life and attention. And when people start giving into those kinds of priorities, they're living in greater peace. So, And maybe in this connection, it's worthwhile citing C.S. Lewis at length. Father Jake has mentioned him. It's a profound quote in, in his book, The Weight of Glory, which he talks about this kind of perspective with regards to life and death and the immortality of our souls means something even now. This is what he says. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. That's you and me. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you may talk to, that's me, one day, one day may be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you only meet in a nightmare. All day long, we are to some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Next to the Blessed Sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object ever presented to your senses. Amen. Amen. Can't improve on that. Wow. Well, thanks all. This was, I found this so helpful and enlightening and hopefully you guys did too. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Great yeah, thanks you. for having me. I think I really enjoyed the conversation. I think it'll provide a lot of people hopefully with some solace and comfort for what's to come ahead. Amen to that. Thanks everybody for listening.